Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This show is totally designed to assist entrepreneurs, small business owners, and SMEs to overcome all the challenges that face them and become more successful. I've said over and over on this program that um, neither the Democrats or the Republicans or President Obama, Mitt Romney, the House, or the Senate are going to have the guts to come together to create the paradigm shift that's needed now in how we do business in this country and to make decisive steps to reduce the deficit. The future of this country really lies in the hands of the entrepreneurs. They are going to produce the jobs, exciting jobs, new jobs, jobs for the 21st century. I feel sorry for all the people that have lost their jobs that worked on assembly lines and all of those sorts of things, but those jobs are gone. They are never, ever, ever, ever coming back. And it won't help the government or the country or anybody else or the people if we keep propping them up. You know, I've got a thing about the top 1%. I think the top 1% should be paying tax that should be going to entrepreneurs as loans and as um, grants to help them build businesses. And that's what we need, a whole raft of new businesses. Now, I received a terrific response last week from my advice on the seven biggest challenges facing entrepreneurs. So today I'm going to begin some to discuss some of the ways that you can generate exposure for your business online that is effective and inexpensive. But before I do that, I want to share with you some great projects for entrepreneurs that have recently come to my attention. The first of these is the new Draper University in San Mateo, California. Tim Draper, the multi-billionaire venture capitalist responsible for inventing and coining the term viral marketing, is opening the university and is offering 10-week courses for entrepreneurs. Tim has brought, bought the Benjamin Franklin Hotel and is turning it into a boarding school for entrepreneurs from all around the world. This is a fantastic idea. Tim's a great supporter of entrepreneurs and startup companies. He's invested in a heap of them. Some have won, some have lost, but his commitment to entrepreneurs is tremendous. You know, Tim was responsible for Hotmail, for Skype, Baidu, a whole host of other things. And he's won some and he's lost some. But um, it's been fantastic. Ever since this show began on air, I've been appealing for successful businessmen and women to begin supporting entrepreneurs with money and knowledge. You know, Tim's one guy that really puts his money where his mouth is. I first met him at uh, Microsoft on his 50th birthday, and he supported me with a terrific testimonial for my book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, if you happen to have forgotten, and he gave me an interview when I was just beginning my radio career. He's strong, but very friendly, and a great guy, quite unusual for a guy in his position. My son, who is doing business at George Washington University, is one of the students in the inaugural program at the Draper University next month. 
one of the things I found interesting was the application requires you to really strut your stuff and show what you're made of. You need to sing, draw a picture, create a business plan, create a puzzle, and lots of other really interesting challenges that I've never seen on an application form before. It really tests your boundaries to determine if you've got the right stuff to be an entrepreneur. So we here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we applaud Tim's efforts for entrepreneurs. Let's hear from more of you, more of you who have made some money, that have got a few bucks, who could help young entrepreneurs get started. Last Saturday morning, you might recall last week I had um, Bernardo Herzer on the program, and last Saturday morning he invited me to um, a group called Metal in Los Angeles. I'd never heard of it before. And it turned out to be one of the best events I've ever been to in my life. Metal was formed in 2003 by Ken Rutowski and brings together alpha leaders in the media, entertainment and the technology space. It's focused on helping members achieve their goals by pushing boundaries in a spirit of respect and camaraderie. Firstly, it was one of the most successful and influential gatherings of people I've ever seen in one room. And it was packed, maybe 150 people. Ken hosts the morning and is really exceptional at keeping it flowing and making everybody participate. It was entertaining, it was informative, had a good guest speaker, the opportunity to tell the group who you were and what you do, and a heap of networking time. Now, the big difference with this group is that people come along wanting to network. They want to help each other. When a challenge is presented, whether funding or another form of assistance is needed, hands go up offering assistance from all corners of the room. It's wonderful. I've applied to join. You have to be interviewed, pass a credentials test, so I'm no shoe-in, but I hope I get accepted because metal epitomises what the whole of America needs to be like. And the world would be a hell of a lot better place if there was a metal in every suburb. The third of my four discoveries in entrepreneurship concerns Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. They have a relatively new entrepreneurship initiative, which inspires students to be entrepreneurial, teaches them the lessons that we've all learnt through making mistakes, connects them to resources and helps them to pursue entrepreneurial interests. Because of who they are and where they are, it fosters really strong connections with the very vibrant Washington, D.C. entrepreneurial community. They've got great speakers, people like T. Boone Pickens and Richard Branson, just to name a couple of them. They're not just teaching business, but entrepreneurship. Again, this needs to be strongly applauded. The fourth initiative that I applaud, and not only because I am part of it, is that of Market Force One, a group of successful people, the incredibly smart Janice Loveland, business trainer Diane Helbig, Les Hall, who's the winner of 32 major advertising awards, Linda Chen, who's a guest on today's show, who's an expert on manufacturing and sourcing in China, Stephen Monaco, the excellent web social media strategist that I had on the program a few weeks ago, myself, 
and a number of others, we've come together to provide extremely low-cost advice on any business subject to entrepreneurs. It's a fantastic initiative and it means no matter how many problems you have during a month, no matter what those problems are, you can get an expert for almost no money that can help you. Okay, my last story about entrepreneurs for today. While things are not changing fast enough and there's nowhere near enough support for entrepreneurs from either state or federal governments or the private sector for that matter, they are changing. A great example is New Orleans. When Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans and much of the surrounding Gulf Coast, many suggested that the city might not even be worth rebuilding. Nearly seven years later, the state is aggressively courting small business with really generous tax credits that effectively refund up to 40% of startup costs. The new culture of entrepreneurship is taking root not just in the Crescent City, but in other urban pockets all around the state. For people who want to be part of something, of building something better, there is absolutely no better place to be, says Taylor Berry, a New Orleans native who launched his group decision, who launched his group decision making startup, Votelk, in March 2011, and so far in New Orleans it has raised $800,000. Now, according to research from the Kaufman Foundation, entrepreneurship in the state is 46% higher than it was a decade ago, with 410 out of every 100,000 adults creating new businesses there every single month. The Bayou State now ranks seventh in the nation in entrepreneurial activity and they were 24th just two years ago. Up until now, everybody wanted to open a bar or a restaurant, and boy, there's a lot of really good bars and restaurants down there, but that's beginning to change. A really high-tech sector is flourishing in New Orleans. The state's filmmaking industry is now the third largest in the country, and even really outside-the-box startups are sprouting up. According to the state's economic development office, the estimated 300 million that Louisiana spent in 2011 on tax incentives for businesses of all sizes has created nearly 40,000 new jobs. That's in New Orleans. It's incredible. New Orleans has become the hub for incubating new businesses. Before Katrina, there was not an ecosystem to find to fund entrepreneurs, says Tim Williamson, who founded the Idea Village, a New Orleans-sponsored non-profit that has provided support and helped raise money of more than $3.1 million in funding for 1,654 startups in the last 10 years. That's the Idea Village. million for 1,654 startups. Today, New Orleans has one of the most vibrant, engaged networks in the country. Now, when you take into account that New Orleans is not in the top 50 cities in the United States based on population and has only just one-tenth of one percent of America's population, If New Orleans can create 40,000 jobs in one year with 350,000 people, if we could replicate that across the country 
we would create 40 million new jobs. 40 million. So what the hell are we waiting for, America? Come on, we got to do it. I'd also like to talk about a few things you can do to promote your business without having a lot of money. Let's start with an easy one. Online news releases. Online news releases put your name where customers look, on search engines. They can get your name to the very top of a Google page, so potential customers will find you much faster. They have a broader reach than email marketing, and they reach people way beyond the scope of our normal email lists. You know, they're just as likely to reach prospects as they are to reach journalists and bloggers. You know, I know exactly what you're thinking. I'm also a small business. You know, I don't have any news. Well, no matter what industry you're in or how many employees you have or how boring you think your business is, your business actually makes news regularly. And there's going to be a lot of people interested. And you can turn any piece of news into an online asset that helps you get great exposure, increase awareness, attract more customers and win more business. Now, contact me on Twitter, Google+, Facebook, or become a friend on LinkedIn. My main newsletter comes out this week and goes to around 15,000 business executives around the world. So go to www.bobpritchard.com and sign up. I'm Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show that's totally focused on helping entrepreneurs, early stage companies, and SMEs to be more successful. Every week, we interview people who make a difference, who are put out there, out there changing the world. People who are positive and vibrant, and today's no exception. As you know, if you listen to this show a lot, 
I'm always talking about the future of this country is entrepreneurs and we need to encourage and help entrepreneurs. They're going to solve the problems. The political parties aren't going to solve the problems. We need more Facebooks. 540,000 jobs as a result of Facebook, and they're today's jobs, not yesterday's jobs. So my first guest today has an amazing resume. At the age of 25, Jim Beach formed American Computer Experience, which he grew to be the largest technology training company for children in America. Jim taught international entrepreneurship at Georgia State University and has lectured at universities in Colorado, Texas, Utah, Hawaii, Japan, Korea, India, Dubai, and Egypt. Jim then established several very successful businesses before he founded the School for Startups, which has taught over 7,000 people how to be low-risk entrepreneurs. The book School for Startups was published last year, and has been a huge success. Jim was called the Simon Cowell of Venture Capital by CNN. I think that's partly a good thing, partly maybe not a good thing, <laughs> but, I think, <laughs> but I think they meant it in the, in the right way. Jim, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm not sure what CNN meant by that, but there it is. Well, the, the new book came out last week that shows that he's um, extremely extravagant, you know, with private jets and Ferraris and, and Lamborghinis and Rolls Royces. Is that you, Jim? No, I think CNN was referring to the fact that uh, I can look at a small business and hopefully have an idea whether it's going to work or not, like he can do with the musician. Maybe yeah. that's what they were referring to. I hope so. Um, what does the average person think that um, entrepreneurship is? Well, you know, I think if you go out on the street and ask 100 people to define it, 99 are going to throw out words like creativity and risk-taking and passion and things like that. Yep. And I believe pretty strongly that that definition is the reason so many people are failing to become entrepreneurs. You know, Bob, 72% of Americans say they wish they were entrepreneurs. That's more than the percent of people who wish that they were rock stars or, you know, sports figures. But only 10% of Americans actually are entrepreneurs. And it's because we're afraid of risk. We don't think we're creative. We hear all of these things that prevent us from being an entrepreneur, especially creativity and risk. But, you know... I don't think that there's a shortage of ideas. As a matter of fact, I see tons of business opportunities yeah. every day. Sure. And I don't really think about risk that much either. Every entrepreneur that I know, successful entrepreneur, is a risk avoider, not a risk taker. And so I hope that we can change somewhat the definition of entrepreneurship so people realize that you don't have to be creative to be a very successful entrepreneur. And you really don't have to take that much risk if you don't want to. Okay, so let's take them one at a time. What role does creativity play? Surely you need to be creative to come up with a cut-through idea that, um, that isn't just another me too. So surely that takes a lot of creativity. Well, sure, but what's wrong with a me too? You know, we have Hyatt and Hilton and McDonald's and Burger King and Adidas and Nike. You know, so many people want to be an entrepreneur, want to be a business owner, but they think there's something wrong with opening a dry cleaning. There's nothing wrong with that. I encourage people to do that, you know, and if it means, you know, being uh, unemployed or starting a business, well, let's choose starting a Me Too business. 
Um, I very much embrace innovation. You know, if I say, let's start a bookstore, well, I then want you as an entrepreneur to make a list of things that define what a successful bookstore is and improve on every single one of those. You know, make the parking lot better, make the entrance better. All of the things that you can do to improve uh, your bookstore, you do. But I don't want you to think, I'm not creative, therefore I can't start a business. Go on Google, type in three business ideas. There are thousands of ideas out there. So let's not allow, Bob, creativity to be an excuse for inertia. You know, that's my my problem is that people say, I'm not creative, therefore I can't be an entrepreneur. That's not true. That's a good point because I must admit – you caught me because when I think of an entrepreneur, I think of somebody who's come up with the latest whiz-bang app or the latest whiz-bang something. I was forgetting about the average entrepreneur who, who does open a dry cleaner or a bookshop or a deli or a something. That's, um, I think that's a very, very important point. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not, Bill Gates and uh, Steve Jobs, I can't come up with those kind of great apps. I'm not going to invent the next Facebook, but I don't want to work for the man or for, you know, a big company. I like my personal freedom. I like wearing blue jeans and T-shirts and uh, taking uh, the afternoon at 2 o'clock to go see my children play uh, soccer if I want to. You know, that to me is what's important. And so... Uh, I don't care what kind of business you're doing. You know, it doesn't have to be sexy to provide you with a very sexy lifestyle. Uh, you know, I around the corner, I just drove past uh, a, a gas station here in town, and it's on one of the nicer corners, and I was talking about the owner yesterday. The owner lives on the nicest street in town, three houses down from the governor's mansion, and his job is a gas station attendant. Right. You know, there's nothing cool about being a gas station attendant except for the fact that he makes dollars a year in profit. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's very cool. So how important is minimizing risk? You, you talk about um, uh, keeping risk to a minimum, but isn't the old ad, adage, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward true? Don't we need to have to take risk to, to be really disruptive? Uh, no. You know, you look at the Fortune 500, most of them were started with under $5,000 of startup capital. Uh, big businesses don't necessarily require a lot of money. But that's another misconception is, you know, a starting entrepreneur shouldn't try to start a big business. They shouldn't start a cell phone company. Why don't they practice first with a smaller business that they, you know, let's say, $5,000, and that's an upper limit. I'm not going to spend any more than $5,000 because that's all the risk that I can be comfortable with. Well, in that situation, thousands and millions of great businesses can be started. People think I need a million dollars to start my business. Well, that's a misconception. In the book, we have 12 stories of people that started cool, great businesses for under $5,000. There's a beer company in there. There's a man that owns 12 restaurants now. He started for under $5,000. There's a young lady. Hewlett-Packard yeah, Hewlett started with under $5,000. Yep. Exactly. Uh, the idea that you need a lot of money is a myth. You don't have to do it. You can start almost every business 
with under $5,000. And if you can't, then maybe you shouldn't be starting that business. Maybe you should be starting a smaller, uh, less risky business. And so what we try to encourage our students to do is to say, I'm going to actively fight against risk. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize the risk so that when I start this business, it's not risky, it's a no-brainer. And you can do things, uh, you know, for example, get contracts in advance. Um, we have one story in the book about a guy named Randy Brown. He worked for a law firm making $35,000 a year as an office manager. He quit on Friday but had pre-negotiated that on Monday he would still be their office manager but with no benefits as an outsourced employee. Well, then that gave him the freedom to go and do that for other law firms. Right. And now he works for five law firms and makes $200,000 a year and has three employees that help him. Wow. Okay. So there's no risk in that either. Yeah. Um, so in your opinion, what's the most important element of entrepreneurship? Uh, getting off of the sofa, turning the yeah. television off, and simply raising your hand up high and saying, I am going to be one of the people that make a difference in America, that rebuild America, and I'm going to be the one that you know works hard 20 hours a day if that's what it takes. Yeah. I don't believe there's anything special about entrepreneurship except the ability and the desire to work really, really hard. I think the other important point uh, that I talk about a lot, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, is the need for mentors and around to surround yourself with people who have been there, done that, and can help you avoid all the pitfalls that there are for early stage businesses. Um, uh, oh yeah, I'm a mentors, huge fan of that. Yeah, mentors have been a great help to me over my career, and uh, I urge people that are starting up in business to to get mentors. Um, you sound like a pretty good mentor. Well, uh, you know, that's one of the things we're trying to do. The School for Startups, the book, it also comes with a learning center, about 80 hours of online video, and that's free if you buy the book. Right. So we're trying very hard to provide the infrastructure to help people that have never been entrepreneurs avoid a lot of the big mistakes that I made. Yep, me too. Well, how important is passion? Um, I've had... I've, got two good friends that are major VCs, Tim Draper, who uh, responsible for Hotmail and Skype and a number of others, and Jay Toro, who calls himself the most entrepreneurial VC in America, who great guy. And they both said that, in their opinion, passion is the most important element by far. What do you think about that? Well, I'm going to 100% disagree. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I am passionate no about... Woodworking. I would love to be a really beautiful woodworker, but it's just not that good. The the wood, the furniture I build is not that beautiful. Uh, I'm also passionate about my family and my three beautiful children and my wonderful wife, and I'm passionate about spending time with them. I'm passionate about controlling my own destiny. I'm passionate about working for myself. I think that's enough. I'm passionate about the process and the freedom that it allows me, I'm not passionate about a thing, a product, or a service. And I don't understand it when people are passionate about a product. You're telling me that you would rather be at your business than at home with your family? Passion in my life is reserved for my family. And 
I work really hard so that my family and I can go to Disney at 2 o'clock on the afternoon if we want. Right. And I would suggest to people that if you're waiting to be an entrepreneur because of your passion, you're failing yourself. Don't wait for your passion to make you rich. You might have to do something that's outside if you're passionate. I cannot make a fortune as a woodworker. I've had to realize that. And I can make you know more money doing other things, which allows me to have more time to woodwork and to be with my family and to go to Disney World. So I don't want entrepreneurs to wait on their passion to go get started. Uh, it's wonderful if you can be passionate about what you're selling, but let's not wait. Let's not stay on the sidelines simply because you don't love what you could be good at selling, you know. I want you to go be an entrepreneur. I think there is a downside too in that you get too passionate about things, you become less objective. And the last thing you want to be if you're an entrepreneur and in small business is less objective. That's the very last thing well, you want to be. And I'm sure that those uh, VCs that you mentioned, Draper, uh, they're not going to want you to be so passionate that you're not going to be willing to sell the business in the end. Sure. You know, Absolutely. it's not a child. It's something that's designed to be sold. And uh, I did have a business that I was passionate about, and it really hurt me when I sold it. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. So I also I don't want people to wait on the sidelines. I want them to go become an entrepreneur, even if it's something you're not passionate about, because being passionate about the process is enough. Okay, final question. Could entrepreneurship be taught? Um, my son's just joined the new entrepreneurship program at Georgetown um, in Washington, D.C. Can, can entrepreneurship be taught? I really believe it can be. You know, I, I think entrepreneurs want there to be something special about it, like a, a license that you have to have or a special character trait you have to have. But I don't believe that. I think anyone that's willing to work hard can be successful. That's all it takes is a desire to say, I'm going to be the one that works 20 hours a day. That's all. Jim, thank you very, very much for your time. I know we've had a struggle to get this schedule because of your hectic schedule. That's a good thing. Now, if you'd like to know more about Jim Beach, go to www.schoolforstartups.com. I've had a good look at it. I think it's sensational. And uh, I wish it was around when I was 20 years younger, although Jim will say there's no no age limit for this. But um, www.schoolforstartups.com. And I'll be back with more of the program in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. 
Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at BobPritchard.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the show that's all about assisting small businesses and entrepreneurs who are just starting up to be more successful so they can avoid the mistakes and the pitfalls that others have made before them. And this is a place where they can come for advice and get contacts with people when they need expertise. Now, there's no question that the next century is a century of China. U.S. imports from China in 2011 were $400 billion, and that's a 30% increase from two years ago. For our listeners who may want to manufacture in China or import goods from China, I thought I would talk to one of the experts in doing business with China so that you could get the expertise directly from her mouth. Now, I've known Lindy Chen for a number of years, probably more than either she or I would like to admit, and she's an absolute authority on doing business with China. Lindy is the Managing Director of China Direct Sourcing Services and author of the book Import from China, How to Make a Million and Not Get Burnt. She's the winner of multiple business awards, and she's on her way to growing China Direct into the into one of the world's leading sourcing firms. Lindy, great to speak to you again. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Good morning, everyone. I'm very excited. How are you? I am terrific. Really good. Um, looking at your photographs on uh, on Google, you look exactly the same as you did when I saw you last. You look younger. It must be the Chinese genes. Um, yes, yes. Over the past 10 years, China's improved dramatically in the quality of their goods and, and their reliability. However, we still do hear the odd horror story about manufacturing and importing from China. Where does this um, fault lie? Does it lie with the Chinese or with the company that's doing the importing? Well, basically, it's like anything, you know, when you, um, say, for instance, in America, you have a good supplier, you have a shonky supplier. And in China, and no doubt, it's the same. You have good supplier, you have bad supplier. 
And when you hear those horror stories, and also say, for instance, you go to very big department store in America, in, in like Australia, like Maya, David Jones, and Target, and all of those with high quality products, you open the tag, it's all made in China. So you wonder, you know, whether which one is the truth. However, I can share with you all of them are the truth because they are good supplier out there, they are shanty supplier. It's really up to the people who really choose to do business like with Chinese supplier and make a decision by system and select the right supplier. Yeah, yeah, that, it's like everything, isn't it? You can go to you can go to a dry cleaner down the road, and they do a lousy job, and you go to the one next door, and they're terrific. I understand that. Yeah, everything. yeah, exactly like that. I often hear people to tell me, you know, and complain and tell me, you know, certain things when the back and when they're dealing with the supplier. And the, what I find, you know, works one way is really to have a system. Yeah. Now, importing from China is no longer a resource just enjoyed by big companies, is it? I, I know quite a few small companies that have their manufacturing done in China and very successfully. Is that segment the fastest growing segment or is it still the big guys? Well, I see um, the like recent years and because of, you know, opening and the China opening and also the, the, the fast growth of the world economy, um, importing from China can be a great vehicle for small and medium-sized business and to, to, to take on. You know, China is like a fast train. If you don't take it, it will continue going, regardless whether you get on the train or not. That's right. And it will continue going. Yes. And importing from China is a, such a great way to like reduce cost and be cost-effective supply chain solution. And not only that, before only the small, like large business have the resources and uh, you know human being and like a uh, capital to uh, capture that opportun- opportunity. However, now small and medium-sized business have the direct access of Chinese factory to realize that benefit. And if you don't do it, your competition down the road is going to and have a distinct price advantage, probably. Exactly, exactly. And nowadays, not only just that, but also um, the, the competition is a global competition now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, mm. why does somebody need to use a specialist like, like you guys, like China Direct, to work with? Why not just use a trading company or a procurement service provider that you find on the Internet? What I can see is a couple of uh, um, factors you need to really consider. When you choose a particular um, company to work with, and um, you really need to see where they, whether um, they had, uh, you know, uh, the link between China and uh, like you know your uh, your like services with you, and not only that, but also uh, say for instance how they operate. And some of the uh, agency or you know procurement service you find on internet. You have no idea whether they really linked with the supplier or not, and whether their methodology to do the sourcing and importing is backed up by the results or not. And the one thing I can share is that China Direct Sourcing is a very systematic way of stealing things, and we have been importing, uh, like assisting our clients over uh, six years and over 500 uh, different projects. We have very high successful rates. And not only that, we are very transparent and independent. And we basically share all the information about supplier to our client. There is nothing hidden. 
And not only that, we are not tied to any supplier. We don't take any commission from our supplier. Therefore, it's guaranteed we only uh, held your best interest in our heart. So if, if somebody deals with, that, with China Direct, then do you charge a fee or do you charge a commission? I, I appreciate that um, um, you, got to, you have to get paid some way. So how, how does your payment work? So we turn your fee like upfront. We uh, explain the scope of work, and before our client engage us, we need to, to we need to see two things. One is we will do a feasibility study, and to see whether um, we can add value to their project, and whether their project is feasible to go to China or not. Sometimes when a project is too small, we we tell them straight. We say, you know, don't use us because we can't see value. And uh, if the project is too too small, sometimes you know the freight and the international uh, like import duty and customs and all of those can outweigh the benefit of importing. So therefore, before you start thinking, you really need to do the evaluation, do a feasibility study. And the number two, when we undertake particular projects, we understand, like, you know, we will see down analysis their current situation and recommend a strategy and a tool for them to go to China. For each different size and each different vision the, the, like the client has, the strategy to go find the right supply is different. And therefore, we sit down and we recommend the strategy. And it depends on what strategy the client choose and the scope of work, complexity of the project. Then we advise, you know, what the service fee on us will be. And then we implemented the whole thing. So it's very uh, thorough, uh, like a strategy recommendation implementation. We hold our client hand to go through the whole process. But also we have the flexibility to allow our clients to choose and pick whatever the service they want. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that sounds very thorough and it sounds very transparent. And um, um, a, somebody who deals with you um, can't really lose on that basis. So how important is culture in doing business with China? Sometimes that knowing and not knowing can play an important role when you're dealing with Chinese supplier. Put in this way, Chinese supplier, they, um, especially like negotiation, and the culture play a very important role on you know, knowing and understanding that uh, the philosophy behind it. And say, for instance, a Chinese supplier, they love the faith, and the, you know, they in the negotiation stage, you really need to prepare and understanding what that faith means. And yes. also knowing the supplier, say, for instance, you know, negotiation with Chinese supplier is like playing chess. You really need to know three steps ahead, and before you can really, you know, place one uh, chess on top of that. Yep. So therefore, you know, without knowing the culture, without knowing uh, the game rule, and quite often you find yourself worse stuck. Right. Okay. So, so one point that I hear a lot is, um, how do you actually exercise any quality control when you're manufacturing in China? Let's say you're sitting in Los Angeles, the higher you, you set up the manufacturer in China. How does any control get exercised over that manufacturer? That's a great question, Bob. And when the product arrives in Los Angeles and you find there is a quality issue, it's already too late. 
Yes. And actually, you know, the quality procedure and the quality control really start from stage one, which is research in tender, and find the right supplier who is matching to your needs and to work with you. So in one of, like, you know, in our process and the stage one we have is research in tender. Say, for instance, if we undertake any particular given project and uh, any given particular product, we go to China, we locate, like we probably will contact more than 30 supplies in other category. And then we will, you know, there may be like, say, a 10 or 12 supplies expressed interest, and there are six or five suppliers who may quote the project. And then we narrow down and we go through the suppliers, like their background, their details, and, you know, their capability, and their quality control system, and all of that, and then come back and have a short list of, you know, two or three suppliers. So in the stage one, you already did the first filtering. And we then come to stage 2A, which is sampling process. And that's a great way you test the supplier, whether it's in line with your like project and whether they are patient, whether they are really detailed, pay attention to details, and whether they have applied their quality control system into making your sampling. And not only that, come, when you finish the sampling stage, you come to the um, like a purchase order negotiation. And in, when you purchase order negotiation, you will go through all the important quality control procedure and the quality control uh, issue, the product inspection. And with all of those details implemented into purchase order negotiation, it's a great test to see whether the supplier coming to the party. Once that's done, then the stage three is production and the delivery management. And you start to monitor that the, how the supplier really manufacture your particular product, and you have an inspection, which is a pre-shipping inspection before the product like leave the port in China. And then, you know, I would say if you implement this system into your practice, the quality control risk will be dramatically minimized. Okay, final question, and probably the most difficult one to answer, I guess. What tactics can I use to reduce the risk of intellectual property rights infringement in China? Well, in that way, there are a couple of things that I think, you know, you can really take into consideration. Number one, the Chinese supplier, they are really, um, the, the, most of the time, they are only trying to copy your product because there is external demand. And I think, you know, the cheapest way to protect yourself, I think, is to really protect your IP in your target market. Yes. If you protect your particular product in your target market, and the majority of the risk has been taken care of. And not only that, and also you need to have, like, implementing such as, uh, you know, have a whole IP strategy, such as when you negotiate, uh, like, at the beginning, you have a non-disclosure agreement. Yes. And uh, then you also have, like, uh, say when you have purchase order negotiation, you have a restriction on what information they can reveal to other people. And not only that, you have a system to check on your supplier from time to time on their website. So those little things doesn't cost a lot of money, but easy to implement and to make sure your IP is well protected. Terrific. Lindy, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I hope we can catch up soon, sooner than uh, this last gap. Now, there's a lady who really knows her stuff. And if you'd like to learn more about Lindy Chen, go to www.chinadirectsourcing.com.au. I can personally vouch for their expertise and their integrity. I've known her for a long time. And I will be back in just a moment.
with some more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the show for entrepreneurs. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible bob pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for fortune 500 companies and smes across the world Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to the Straight Talking Business Show. Coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. We really appreciate all the emails that you send us. We'll try to answer as many of them as possible, either on the air or off air, I'll send you an email. Although most of the emails we get are from the US, I want to acknowledge our listeners in other countries, so each week I will try to answer at least one email from our international listeners. This segment's very popular because I think irrespective of where you are or what you do, the size of your business, whether it's big or small, or whether you're a a plumber or running a a high-tech company, the problems that you face are the same, and therefore an email that um, I'm answering from someone who's in a totally different business than you could be equally applicable to you. The first email this week is from John Adamson of Washington, D.C. John writes, Dear Bob, I love your show. It's terrific to me in my new business. I bought a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets at Barnes & Noble in Washington, and I'm loving it. That's where I bought my first copy, too, as soon as I saw it on the shelves, Barnes & Noble in Washington. My question is, how can I get exposure for my business on the web? It's just so saturated with information that I'm out of ideas. John, it's actually a lot easier than you, easier than you think. I mentioned earlier that no, no matter what industry you're in, you're always doing something that can make news. And you can turn any piece of news into an online asset that helps you get great exposure, increase awareness, you can attract more customers and win more business. So just think of absolutely everything you do. You started your company. That's news. Perhaps you launched a new product or service. That's news. If you're offering a great promotion, that's news. 
Maybe you hired a new employee. That's news. Create a new website. That's news. Secured a big contract. That's news. Maybe you moved to a new premises. That's news. You could be giving a speech to your local Rotary Club. That's news. Or you could be helping a charity. That's also news. So there's lots of opportunities for you to make news. So spread the word. Get your story out there with an online news release. And there's a number of people that can help you do that. John, you can also tell everybody about your latest accomplishment or an award that you've won. So next time you win an award, create a new product or even win a big account. Let the world know about it. An online news release can take the story beyond your industry in all sorts of ways and connect you with all sorts of people, including journalists that might be looking for a story and customers looking for a well-reviewed, credible product. What's so great about social media today you can make connections that were not possible even a year ago. So make sure you educate yourself on the connection tools of each social media site. You can also publicise an award that one of your suppliers has won. That means that you're selling award-winning products or you're dealing with a company who is recognised for their excellence and you get recognition and reflected glory. Another opportunity is to share an inspirational story. You know, for, for inspiration on your next online release, look no further than your own inspiration. People love to hear about people going the extra mile, overcoming adversity and becoming successful. And the publicity can generate even more success. This idea works well for almost every business, but make it interesting. Add some colour like they have on television with a colour commentator and make the story interesting. Since you already have a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, a copy of my book, Marketing Magic, that also features Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson, and a bunch of others, is on its way to you. We here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show are all about helping small businesses be more successful and more profitable, so keep sending us your emails and we will answer them. Alan Morris of Pittsburgh asks a question that I get asked quite often. Some managers focus on the on poor performers because they assume their star employees don't need feedback. They're clearly doing a good job and they don't need to improve, right? Wrong. Even your top performers need to stay engaged, focused and motivated. They need to know you're interested in them and how they perform or chances are that they'll quit and go elsewhere. Now, next week, I have an explosive interview from New Zealand about how the authorities have handled their tragic earthquake. This is an excerpt from the interview. Nero fiddling while Rome burned is fucking apt. There is not a lateral thinker or entrepreneur in the top echelon. Public servants who have never done a thing except eat, sleep and collect their wages are now creating regulations to stop anyone doing anything worthwhile. Wow. Does this remind anyone of Hurricane Katrina? This is one interview you don't want to miss. So send us your, your quotes, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com, follow me on Twitter and Google. Just a reminder, my new main newsletter comes out this week. So if you'd like to receive it, go to www.bobpritchard.com and register your name. And I'll see you again at the same time with that explosive interview next week.
You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.